I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. I'm Eli Sands. And I'm Thanmai Lagudu. You're listening to Deep Cut. Ega, 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 ega. On Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us. We also discuss the director's life and career to bring context that helps us view the movies as they may want us to. Also, I'm drinking a seltzer, so I'll at least be a little buzzed for this discussion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's go! <laughs> also, buzz, Iga, buzz, okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he's correct. I was trying to make it slide. I didn't want to like be obvious about it. It was not obvious at all. Not at all. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is not obvious at all. <laughs> Last episode, with the help of our special guest, Thamai, we were introduced to the maximalist world of S.S. Rajamuli and discussed his Epic two-parter, Bahubali, the beginning, and Bahubali, the conclusion. On this episode, we will continue to dig deeper into Rajmuli's filmography by talking about his previous film, 2012's Iga. Iga. <laughs> Iga tells the story of Nani, who is a flower decorator who is head over heels in love with his neighbor, Bindu. He gets killed by a rich businessman slash all-around bad person, Sudeep, who is also obsessed with Bindu. Nani gets reincarnated as a housefly, and Iga to exact <laughs> to exact his revenge. Iga! Iga! Yeah! Nani I... is the titular Iga, yes. Yes. <laughs> Just to make that clear to listeners yes. who don't know. Is it in is Iga a Telugu word or a Tamil yeah, it's a, word? It's a Telugu word, yeah. It uh, means housefly. Nice. Very nice. straightforward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Title>. yeah. <laughs> I chose this as a deep cut, even though it is sort of considered to be one of Rajamuli's most famous films, I think it is a very perfect encapsulation of Rajamuli working within small means to make the most maximalist movie possible. Right before the success of this film, he has not been getting, to quote another podcast, blank checks to make <laughs> his films like he is now. So I think it's very fascinating to see him work under some constraints, but also I think the action sequences in Ega are so inventive and oh unique and i think there's so many choices in this film that really make it a special action blockbuster and i do regard ega as one of the tip-top action movies of the 2010s yeah and before we get into more context i want to hear how you all feel about ega thamai do you want to go first yeah, I think, Wilson, your choice for this being the deep cut was, I think, really great because I think this was also, when this movie came out, uh, Rajamuli was not as widely known, not even in India, especially not even around the world, you know, now like he is now with the Bahubali franchise and RRR. 
but I do think you get a sense of his filmmaking and what he tries to do, especially with sort of like a budget constraint where he doesn't have like the help of massive stars or, or massive VFX budgets, what he's able to come up with with these budget constraints and how he's even with those constraints, he's able to create this entire world and still be able to create some of the most like breathtaking, you know, set pieces that have kind of come out of Telugu cinema, especially, I think. So I think this being the choice as your deep cut is 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 really great. And I think it's it's also one of my favorite movies. I'm, you know, I, I think for me, a lot of, and I feel like I've talked about this before, a lot of Rajamuli stuff is hard for me to really fully divorce from my nostalgia of it. Mm-hmm. And Iga is really one of those movies that is up there. I think on my current ranking, it's like my number two next to Bahubali 2. Mm. So I, 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 do, I also really do love this movie. And, I, and I'm right there with you, Wilson, as this is one of, I think, the defining blockbusters of the 2010s. Um, and I think something that more people need to see, too, just to see, you know, what kind of stuff you can make on such a small budget, mm-hmm. you know, and what you're able to do with such a small budget and, and yet still retain a voice and still retain techniques that you kind of, that Rajamuli kind of builds on with the Bahubali franchise and RRR. This is a, a great choice for a deep cut. Yeah. Thamai, did you see it when it came out in 2012? I did. I saw it in the theater. Uh-huh. And, and again... I'm so <laughs> insanely jealous of you. Same. I am still yet to see a uh, Rajamuli film in, in the theater. I saw RRR yesterday. And unfortunately, it, like I missed this, the two screenings that there were in Hong Kong. So I had to watch it on my computer monitor, but I did enjoy it. But I was like yeah. s- sulking because that was like a big <laughs> screen experience. Oh. Yeah, and that's one of the perks of being onto Rajamuli before everyone else. I was I was there from the beginning. Hey, and so I got to watch all his stuff in the theater since at least since Mugabira. So. the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so... That's one of the benefits of being there before everyone else got there. Um, but yeah, no, I remember seeing this in the theater and I was like, what? Um, I came out in 2012, I was in like ninth, in ninth grade. My family and I, we think we drove to like this theater in Orlando where they only showed like Indian movies there. Not only Indian movies, but that was the only theater where they showed Indian films mm-hmm. on top of the rest of the stuff. And I remember being similarly sort of breathtaken when I first saw it and kind of like, oh my God, this premise is like, so out there and so like it's almost like Rajamuli is parodying himself a little bit right with what he did in Magadira with this idea mm-hmm. of reincarnation you it, it kind of comes off as that and you know and there is a little bit of I think definitely some self-awareness in the film you know I think more so than a lot of his other films but somehow he he still has that sauce he still has that way of making you care for a housefly and get you invested in the story and imbue this like CG housefly with human qualities, which I still am fascinated by. And I don't know how he did it. And it's like, it's amazing. But I remember when I first saw it, I was like, how is he making me care about this? Um, <laughs> even though it's such a ridiculous premise. Yeah. So, yeah. But I'm very interested to hear what Eli and Ben have to say about it, because I feel like from me and Wilson, you, you'll get like undying praise for this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, it's mainly because I, everything is sort of clouded in this nostalgia that I love to hear other perspectives. So I definitely want to get your takes on it for sure. I mean, I adored this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, Thumbai, that it is a preposterous premise, but the movie 
knows that you know that and then it yeah. takes it seriously so that mm -hmm. you can just have fun with it and get invested in it at the same time. Mm -hmm. I continue to be impressed by Rajamuli's creativity and inventiveness with everything from how he's embedding VFX into the shot to camera placement to even camera types. He, I think, has a GoPro on a guy's forehead as a man is attacking his forehead. <laughs> and the humor is incredibly sharp. And this is the movie of the deep cut canon where I have definitely screenshotted the most stills <laughs> because there are just so many things that are so both funny and impressive to look at. And my MVP hands down is Mr. Sudeep for <laughs> his performance as the murderer who kills Nani. And he gives one of the finest comedic performances I've ever seen. Truly not speaking hyperbolically. It is like Who Framed Roger Rabbit levels of technically impressive, along mm -hmm. with just this outstanding comedic timing and moldability of his face. Mm. It's such a delight to see this man perform. I'm really impressed by everything this movie is doing. And last episode, we talked about how Bahubali and the other main characters are smart, right? It's not just clever. It's not just quippy, and it's not the writer showing off how clever he is. The writer is embedding that smartness within the characters, and mm -hmm. that is absolutely present here, and it's a huge part of the enjoyment of this movie for me. All around, what a picture. <laughs> yeah. And mind you, Sudeep is playing Sudeep. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and Nani is playing Nani, because the actor's name is Nani. <laughs> right. Well, for the first 30 minutes, he is. Yeah, that's yes. true. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, with Sudeep, like for him, his performance imbues the fly with character. Yeah. Yes. So he's really playing the fly in, his, in a way, if you really think about it. His reaction shots are the performance of the fly. Mm. CG notwithstanding. Kuleshov effect notwithstanding, too. <laughs> yeah. But am I relying on Eli to be the person to be critical of the film is Fool's Aaron. He was too nice. <laughs> <laughs> which means once again what? this responsibility is going to fall on me Boo. which i hate the suit deep of the episode <laughs> Boo. Yes. i mean i love this film as a kind of almost like a zany comedy when tama you called it kind of almost rajamuli parodying himself then that kind of maybe helped me click some things into place in terms of like where the humor stands i think my main kind of resistance to the film aside from the set pieces, is actually something about the tone of it. Hmm. And something about the tone of Iga, for me personally, feels slightly off. Why I have this reaction, I can't explain, but what it is is that somehow the revenge plot of this gets too violent for me. Ah. Which I'm maybe trying to unpack maybe through this episode why it doesn't quite click for me in this sense. Hmm. Like, seeing the fly bathe in blood is silly, yes, but also something about it is gruesome. And then watching him cut mm. Sudeep is also somehow also very gruesome. And mm. I get that it is a proportionate response to Sudeep, who kills a man, right? It is proportionate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is proportionate. I, I, I give it that. But I think it's more of the... <laughs> this is going to sound whack as hell, but there's a Pixar-level kind of 
anthropomorphism of the fly uh-huh. and the comedy tone. And I swear there is a musical motif that sounded very Disney slash Pixar-like at some point in this film. Hmm. But that kind of comedic tone and the I'm going to kill you style of revenge doesn't quite mesh for me. Uh-huh. And there's this tonal whiplash for me of like, here's this like B-movie, like B-E-E movie romance <laughs> plus Fly wants to murder a man. And those two halves don't come together for me. I think I kind of see what you're saying, Ben. Do you feel that that's partially because you felt, as I felt on a certain level, that you're kind of rooting for Sudeep in this movie? Mm. Interesting. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think a bridge too far? I think that would be crazy. I don't think it makes sense to root for Sudeep, but it's more of like when you think about protagonist and you think about revenge, usually like you want the protagonist to maybe hold some kind of moral high ground. Mm, yeah. But I mean, there's plenty of revenge films where the revenge is also killing. Like, I mean, think of something like Kill Bill. Like, there's so much violence coming from Uma Thurman's character because she wants to kill Bill. But is that what that movie's about? That's why I, I, I can't give an answer about why this is a little off for me. But I think it's maybe because of the very strong comic overtones of it mm. and the fantastical quality of it not meshing with the violent, murderous revenge part. Mm. That's the best I can explain mm. it. I think that holds water. For me, I think the the over the topness on all fronts, like even everything out, right? Because Sudeep mm. is like an impossibly evil, <laughs> evil man. And Nani's love for Bindu is this impossible thing where like even as she rejects him over and over again, he still believes rightfully believes that she actually likes and even loves him so i think if you're operating within this rajamuli understanding of the universe right that i have this idea that rajamuli always like in order to achieve a maximalist effect when he's presenting action he needs to build up all these goals and these promises that these characters make in a maximalist sense. Right. Mm-hmm. So in this film, Nani gets killed, and the reason for his reincarnation is to protect Bindu from Sudeep. And it is his mission, his life's mission as a fly. He will not stop until Sudeep is dead. And I think that because everything is working at such a high level, Everything really clicks for me in this. And even though I think it is on a lighter tone, like comedy wise, I think if you look at this as a follow up to Mariada Ramana, which is a Buster Keaton. It's um, a remake of a Buster Keaton movie called Our Hospitality. Yeah. Yes. And if, if you like sort of see it as like a continuation of Rajamuli's interest in silent cinema and i feel like there is a lot of like links mm. there right like the the fly does not talk like once yeah. nani dies nani doesn't come back to voice over this fly the fly doesn't talk for the rest of the film which i think is an incredible feat right Bold. you have an action hero that cannot 
say anything <laughs> um, and works with gestures and facial expressions. And Sudeep is also operating, like his performance is also operating on this heightened level of like screwballness even as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when placed in that like context, it works as a whole for me. And that's why, yeah, I don't know. I really, really appreciate it. And I think it's it, it's so out of left field for for a director to make these choices in a movie that commercially did very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot to respond to. Um, so, <laughs> so Eli, I step think, number one: rooting for Sudeep. <laughs> you know, I think Wilson really did a good job pointing out about Mariada Ramana because I think when you talk about Sudeep's comedic performance it is drawing i think a lot on raj Muli's interest in like silent buster keaton comedies right a lot of the performance there like for example that one scene where um he's in like that hot box massage thing <laughs> and uh and the, he, the fly is torturing him and then he takes off his towel and you know tries to hit the fly and then they're having like the business meeting downstairs and then the guy's like oh Barrel be totally stripped, and then yeah. and then Sidney shows up like like literally stripped. And <laughs> this is the naked truth. I think that's what he says or something. Yeah, but yeah, I think Eli, that's such a great connection to make because I I think it links. You know, I think Raj Mooley's interest in sort of silent American comedies from the twenties and thirties, and the Who Framed Roger Rabbit, since it's the the sort of animated elements interacting with the real life elements, right? And then the more I thought about your I'm actually think about rooting for Sudeep. I know I reacted very heavily, but I thought about it in the time. And, he reflected. Uh, I think you do have a little bit of a point there. I reflected very quickly. And, you know, I think you make a really good point there because I think Raj Mali in a lot of his films, his villains are like villains. They're like personifications of pure evil. Like in a lot, mm. right? Like, yeah. you know, Balal Deva in, in Bahubali, uh, the <laughs> British in RRR. And here Sudeep is like, you know, he's a murderer. He's a womanizer. He's just like every bad quality. But at the same time, right, like he gives this incredible comedic performance, which I think has a way of endearing you to him. Right. Yes. You know, and that was something I was really astounded by when I when I first watched it, because I was like, oh, my God, like I'm supposed to hate this guy, but he's like hilarious. Rajamuli somehow makes that like is able to sell that. Along with this idea that you're rooting for Sudeep because of how skilled the comedic performance is, and yes, I entirely agree, I think also narratively, this movie is a game of one-upsmanship. Fly Mm. Sudeep, fly Sudeep. And part of what you're rooting for is to see things escalate. Mm. Like, there's a moment just before poop really hits the fan when (laughs) Sudeep has this kind of badass shot where there's smoke swirling around him and he has sunglasses on and you know he's committed to his ultimate destruction in the name of killing this fly (laughs) and you cheer it on because you want to see the point when he is firing shotguns and machine guns at a fly (laughs) destroying his own home like i think both performance wise and narratively this movie is calling for you to at least enjoy the escalation that Sudeep goes through. Mm. And Eli, what you're saying there, that can even be traced to, I think, a very universal human thing that we all experience, which is how annoying it is when a fly lands on you and won't leave you alone, (laughs) right? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You know, and and, and that, I think, is kind of the bridging of of Sudeep being this, like, just awful, terrible 
human being into kind of endearing you into his comedic performance is that like Rajamuli understands that being stalked by a fly or whatever, right, is is just so annoying, right? Um, and kind of he kind of uses that bridge as 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 kind of a bridge to get you to root for his comedic performance. Yeah, which is I've never seen that done before in a film. I think that kind of helps you put together the puzzle of how he's able to make that make that jump into mm. getting the audience on the, at that place. It's a sympathetic experience. Yeah. And then Ben to kind of, when you talk about sort of the tones not meshing, I think when I watch a Rajamuli film, I expect a certain level of violence already. Mm. So I think with that expectation, you know, when I watched it in theaters, you know, I had seen Magadira, I had seen a lot of his earlier work, right? Where there is a lot of violence. And um, coming into Iga, even though it is much more in that vein of like more of a pixar sort of kids film, even though it's not like, I know that in my mind, because it's a Rajamuli film, that it's going to have this like exorbitant amount of violence. So I guess for me, it was it was a kind of an expectation thing where I'm like, it's a Rajamuli film. It's going to have violence, you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess that and also Wilson sort of talking about Rajamuli setting up like because a lot of it is like you buying into the universe of this film. Right. And it, as it is with a lot of his films where, you know, that kind of evens everything out. But I think that for me, an added element was I just know that's what to expect from a Roger mm-hmm. movie film. It's one of his, it's one of the staples mm-hmm. of an SSR film, right? Is this mm-hmm. like over the top violence, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, that sometimes kind of brushes against this like comedic tone, but I don't know. I think for me, it was like, if it's an SSR movie, it's going to have a lot of blood and, you know, <laughs> um, and I didn't expect, expect anything different from this, even though if like, say you've only seen RRR and then you went to see Iga, you might be a little bit like, okay, like, why is this fly murder? Like, why, like, why is there so much blood, you know, and, and, and all of that. But I think for me, it's because I've seen a lot of his films. I know what to expect. Yeah. Hmm. And I think it speaks more of his, like, pre-Bahubali films more than his post-Bahubali films. That's why I think it was, like, a good choice for a deep cut. Like, even though right. I, I personally p- appreciate and love Magadira more than Iga, I think it is a great like bridging into his later works i think thinking about violence in rajamuli's films is also me realizing that even in bahubali and rrr in those films the violence in them is also still very shocking even though those are very violent films mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. rajamuli does not pull punches with violence he is always about high impact and i think with iga the use of the needle, Sudeep stepping on them. These are very visceral, relatable things. Yeah. And I think that also ties into the idea that being annoyed by a fly is relatable. And so a lot of the pain that Sudeep goes through feels very visceral because you understand that kind of pain. Yeah. Which is why even though he is the villain, the pain that Nani inflicts on him can be felt by you, even though you are also kind of celebrating the violence he that the fly is is inflicting on the villain right you can also feel the pain of the villain right Mm -hmm. he's a bad guy but he's also very regular in a sense Mm -hmm. i mean we all know businessmen and like just regular folk maybe not murderous businessmen but like there's something (laughs) about him that feels like like an uncle that you know you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know what uncles you have been, but, <laughs> but I get it. I, I, I get the point you're trying to make. We all have people in our family like this. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that's really interesting when thinking about the new Netflix, I guess, remake of this film <laughs> with Rowan Atkinson. Well, inspi- directly inspired by Iga. Ripoff. I guess they said in the Wikipedia page, which is Man <laughs> vs. B, which I think, at least from the trailer, does not try to give identity to the to the bee and 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 it's right. focused more on atkins's character which i don't know we'll see how that plays out we're not going to cover on the pod but we'll see how that plays out i thought it was a movie it's a tv series like what <laughs> why why oh that is a my movie goodness. they keep yes. on making limited series when they should make movies okay before we get into the meat and bones of this movie let's do a little bit of context so with Iga, like the Bahubalis, it was based on a story by Rajamuli's father, V. Vijayendra Prasad. And the script, the script was also doctored by Rajamuli's brother. So the idea for the film was first developed by Rajamuli's father in the late 1990s. And at the time, he was joking with SSR about a housefly seeking revenge on a human and Prasad said that he actually first wanted to make it as English language film set in 1830s America, where black boy dies in attempt to free his family from slavery and is reincarnated as a fly to like exact revenge against slave owners, which definitely would have not been as comedic as this, but I think would have been an interesting film to see. I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess um, after Mariada Ramana, Rajamuli wanted to make a smaller budget film and chose this simple story of a man coming back as a housefly to exact revenge for his lover. But I guess when looking at the script, he realized that it could not be a small film. So this idea of taking a little break from all these big budget movies like Magadira and Mariada Ramana actually turned out to to be making an even bigger budget film. And so this was also the first time Rajamuli made two versions of a film. He made a Tamil and a Telugu version, and it was also his first Tamil language film. So both versions of the film were released on July 6th in 2012 in approximately 1,100 screens globally. The film was really critically acclaimed upon release, and Ego was one of the highest grossing Telugu films of that year, earning more than 23 million US dollars. And I think Rajamuli was very happy with the outcome of this film. In all the interviews that I read, he, he was very proud of the work that he did. So first of all, all of the actors that he had in the three main roles were all of his first choices. So even though they were like not big stars, he he thought they were right for the role and in my opinion, they were as well. And also, this was his third time working with the VFX company Makuta VFX. And I wanted to shout them out because I didn't get a chance to read up on them for Bahubali, but Rajamuli had worked with them since basically Magadira till RRR. And Makuta is known for a lot of work with Indian films as well as working on the first season of Legion, fun fact. Hmm. And for Iga, 
Makuta handled over 2,200 shots, ranging from character design of the fly to modeling and all the other invisible visual effects that like come into making a movie of this proportion and this size. Yes, Eli. While we're on visual effects, something that I noticed that Roger Mulley and the Makuta team are doing that's so subtle yet effective is that Roger Mulley will shoot the plate shots, the base shots where VFX go in, in slightly shallow focus so that Mm -hmm. where the fly will be in the shot, it looks like it's in focus naturally within the camera, like it's being shot through a lens with no VFX. Yeah. Really cool and clever. Yeah, and the macro lenses he uses, I, it is all very intentional because he and the VFX team made a 3D storyboard with sort of CGI mock-ups before making the film. So I think everything, like all the action beats of the fly were clear to all crew members when shooting. So everyone knew what they were working with. And even Sudeep knows what he was working with as well. And... Last thing, to respond to your point, Thamai, about how the character of the fly was made and how, how you could like feel so much for this fly who doesn't speak, they actually did a photo shoot with a fly. <laughs> so they used that photo shoot to build most of like the body of the fly, but then they saw the face and the face was like really ugly. And <laughs> Roger Mulley says, some portions of the body were good, but when we enlarged the face, it looked horrendous on the big screen. Now, Iga is the hero of the film, and I can't have an ugly hero. So we had to do some cosmetic changes to create a good-looking fly. So that's why he looks so good. Yeah, he looks great. I can't believe the film industry has such a high standard of beauty. It's just truly problematic. I know, right? Yeah. Another... Like, I can't believe they had to give cosmetic surgery for a fly. Ridiculous. Anyway. Hey, you gotta, com- you gotta compete with the likes of Ram Chara, and you really need to have the hottest fly out there. That is true. They did surgery on a grave. And another um, fun fact, too, um, I should have maybe mentioned this in the Bahubali episode, but Bahubali was Rajamuli's first film on digital, and Iga was his last film on film that was shot on 35 millimeter. Um, So that's an interesting fact too. So how he was able to achieve all this visual effects and have like a 35 with the 35 print is also kind of, I think interesting in how it informs our conception of how he made it. Yeah. And I like the quality of it. I could see some of the scratches in the version that I watched on the screen. I was like, Ooh, we're, we're back in the, the 90, well, I guess the early 2010s. <laughs> in my head, I'm like, oh, the 90s. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, 35mm film, like shooting on 35 in the early 2010s already feels very, still very late to be shooting on 35. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing with Rajamuli is, you know, like a lot of directors, he had made a lot of his movies and shot them on film. Like Magadira was shot on film, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of his stuff leading up to Ego, for him, he just said that, it's a workflow that he's he's worked with before. So it just made more sense. I think maybe with Bahubali, he decided to make that jump into digital because he had the extra time to make the movie. And he figured, you know, he had to kind of adapt with the times. But yeah, that's just a fun fact that this was his last movie that he shot on 35. I mean, with all the visual effects he does, like shooting on film is just more like logistically difficult. Mm-hmm. Like not being able to preview the shots and make sure like have a post-production guy on set tell you whether the shot works yeah 
it's much more of a gamble to shoot on 35, especially when you can do digital. Yeah. And I think that's why he made that shift, right? Probably. Probably, yeah. We talked on the last episode about how Bahubali's VFX are not supposed to be so literal or photorealistic mm. and that that adds a fantastical element and it's more about the creativity of the design here i will say that the vfx look a little bit more smoothly integrated across the board mm-hmm. in most sequences i think it's also because like you have that like when you plan visual effect shots that have to mesh with real life and here he does that thing which is like most good filmmakers know of which is that when you put the real life and the cg in the same shot you got to be smart about when you do it and generally speaking Iga, the nani as a fly in the screen tends to be very small so like it doesn't have to have such high fidelity to fit with mm. like sudeep like flailing around right so like that works yeah. and then when you do see the close-up of the fly the tendency is for most of the shot to be visual effects i think that's true yeah and so then that works so then you don't need to do so much suspension of disbelief to put those two like the real world and the cg stuff together mm. But I think what really shines here, right, is what Rajamuli decides to do with the VFX character. How he decides to move him, what sort of obstacles he has to face. Because I'm like, it sort of sucks to have this comparison in my head, but I keep on thinking about Ant-Man because of all like the... <laughs> the bug stuff. The small-sized sequences. <laughs> and, okay, we, we don't need to talk about Marvel, but that long. <laughs> but... <laughs> but I think the amount of different kinds of scenarios that Rajamuli is able to place Nani Iga in, just in like maybe the first five to ten minutes of his existence as a fly, like just that first section of him learning to survive as a fly with his like wing not sticking out and the flood coming in, him like playing in the park with the girl with the bubbles and getting sucked in. And just that whole, like, getting used to this new mode of being and mode of presenting a character contains, like, multitudes of ideas there. And I think just how he's able to come up with all these action sequences that in a our-sized, like, human-sized world are very, like, normal, <laughs> but... I think when placed in a in a fly sized world is like life or death is so interesting to me. And I think that sort of like evens it out. Right. Like, I think that it's for me, it's still a David and Goliath story, even until the very end, mm. because the chance of Nani Iga dying is so much higher than Sudeep dying. So I think it is like is another one of those like impossible feats of a Rajamuli main character to achieve and being a fly killing a human is obviously definitely one of them. Yeah. And I mean, this is a bit more of a point responding to Ben about how Rajamuli plans the shots that where real life elements interact with CGI. Oh my God. I'm just realizing this might be something, a spoiler for RRR. I don't know. It's okay. Put it in. Is it okay? All right. All right. So, um, Eli, close your ears. <laughs> should I take my headphones out for a moment? Yeah, is this interval the the interval moment? No, no, no. It's 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 one of the introduction scenes. Oh, oh, tiger okay, yeah, fight? yeah, yeah. The, yes. All right. Oh, like with beam. Yeah. So 
So Ben, when you, when you were saying that, it kind of reminded me about this interview that Rajamuli. It was kind of this this promotional thing that Rajamuli did talking to Ram Charan and Junior NTR, where where Junior NTR was basically like, uh, "Why did you make me run so fast in that scene?" <laughs> <laughs> and he said it's because animals. You know, one of the issues in a lot of movies is that animals don't run fast enough. And when they don't run fast enough, it's not convincing to the viewer, mm. right? That somebody is being chased by a tiger, for example. So apparently on set, when they were shooting that, that scene with Junior NTR, his introduction scene, Rajmuli was there with a laser pointer. Oh. And he was like, with the laser pointer, I was going fast. And, and at the same time, he was telling Junior NTR to run and be ahead of the laser pointer. So that the laser pointer was sort of mimicking the way, the, how fast the tiger was running. Oh. So when you said that, Ben, it made me kind of think about how much work Rajamuli kind of puts into this and how much how um, mm. interested he is in, in trying to convince the viewer, if, for example, that this fly is a real thing that in, is interacting with the real world, but also in RRR that a real tiger is chasing this real human being in this kind of singular world. So I thought that was just an interesting thing that kind of just, it just reminded me of that, where, you know, Rajamuli does put a lot of work into thinking about how the computer-generated elements interact with the real-life elements. And also, side note, we are like, I'm forcing you, you us all to do an RRR episode just just to make Eli watch the film, I think. <laughs> I'm down. I want to yeah. watch it. And also, Eli, that's like one of the first scenes in the movie, so I didn't spoil anything too crazy. Yeah. Like, a lot of it, a lot of the investment is like, you know, watching the scene and seeing how it plays out more so than what happens. That makes me sense. Yeah, no, I totally get that. It's like, uh, it's the same in Bahubali where he gives you a setup that it seems impossible that the character will find their way out of it. Like a stampeding elephant and the queen mother who has to make it to the pyre. And the question becomes, how do they solve this? And they solve it through smart character decisions. Mm. And thrills. I sort of want to talk about the the comedy of this film because I think compared to a lot of other Roger Mooley films, this is like pretty funny. I think there's a lot of like small aside moments, especially I, I really love that um scene where Bindu brings Nani Iga to a coffee shop and yes. <laughs> is asking him what he wants to drink. And it's so funny watching the just the reaction shots of the waiter. And it's that's just like a one off, like less than two minute scene, but it's so good. My favorite one was the one with the burglar. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell was that? And then he has that post credits as yeah. well where he changes his life. Because that was such a random scene, but like it does work on its own as a comedic set piece. Because I think he knows that he has to milk this idea that this woman is in love with a fly. Because <laughs> that is inherently a ridiculous premise. And, like, how he can milk that for, for humor. And I like that bit, even though it is maybe the most extraneous kind of piece of the puzzle. But I'm glad it's there. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, it's... Um, I think that is something that a lot of people who just watch, you know, the Bahubali franchise, or maybe just watch RRR, are kind of missing out on Rajamuli, is that he's a very skilled director of comedy, right? Yeah. He is able to stage such hilarious scenes and in the way he sort of like writes dialogue and sets up certain situations like like with the burglar i think that is is really funny and also just like i think i kind of touched on it like all the stuff with uh sudeep and and him trying to get rid of the fly and and, and again like ben there is kind of this self-awareness that i think rajamuli has like trying to milk as much 
humor from the situation, but he doesn't really undercut any of the seriousness that he is trying to build too. Mm. If this was like a Marvel movie or something, it would be like a very serious thing, and and then the serious thing would be sort of undercut by comedy. Right. Whereas here, it feels like they feel very interlinked. They sort of complement each other. For example, like when I think right after the interval, Sudip is like talking to one of his like servants, and he's like, "Hey, do you know like?" Can animals get revenge? And the guy's like a yes man. So he's like, yeah, I, yeah, my grandfather got bit by a, a snake, you know, I think. And he was like, no, like, like smaller animals, like, like a, like a fly. And then, and then he's like, oh yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. A fly. I think that is definitely a moment where I realized like, oh, Roger Willie knows exactly what kind of movie this is. Right. But at the same yeah. time, he still wants to build the seriousness of the stakes and the seriousness of of like the central revenge plot, right? Mm -hmm. But he doesn't do like the Marvel thing of like undercutting it all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess that was just a, a very interesting way, interesting way that he kind of bounces between the two of them. And I guess a lot of it has to do with the sincerity that he gives both the comedy and the sort of the seriousness of the film. Yeah. Whereas like, I know I keep talking about Marvel, but I think it's probably the best way to sort of compare it. Cause I think, it's just a totally different approach in the way they sort of balance comedy and drama, right? Mm -hmm. Where in a Marvel film, it's, it feels like there's a lack of sincerity every time a comedy scene comes in to undercut the dramatic stakes. And that's a mm -hmm. thing that I've noticed with a lot of these films because it's easy to do, honestly. Whereas here, it feels like Rajamuli's like, I don't want the comedy to really undercut the seriousness. I want to kind of give them both equal weight and equal consideration. And I think that's a, that's a balancing act that's really difficult, you know, and it's easier to do the Marvel thing. And, you know, not just the Marvel thing, but like the Hollywood blockbuster thing of mm -hmm. having a, a movie that has drama, but always uses comedy to undercut it and deflate a lot of the um, stakes and deflate a lot of the drama. But Roger Willey never does that. Yeah. And I think that's such a, an incredible skill that I think he possesses that I don't think a lot of filmmakers have yeah yeah i think you know not just in the states but like like anywhere right and when there's a moment for seriousness like i'm thinking about that massive tone shift once nani gets abducted and then it cuts into that place where he gets killed and the the color grading of it is just so dark and mm. black and then it feels like a different movie it's like a tonal whiplash right there but i think it is important at that moment and i think rajamuli handles that shift very well for for something that is so movie changing i think that moment i think he does it in the best way possible yeah i think i agree with you thamai he is a master at maintaining the seriousness of the plot but also adding comedy to it i think he's a master supporter and what i mean by that is he is all about bolstering as effectively and compellingly as possible the comedy, the drama, and I think especially the performers, by not having to do these undercutting jokes or use bathos. What's bathos? Please define that for us. <laughs> What's that? What's bathos? What is that? Oh. I'm dumb. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is a term from ancient Greek drama that essentially means jokes that let the audience know that the writers and performers are in on the joke and know that it's strange. It's like beating you oh. to saying, this is ridiculous. It's a defensive thing and it's not sincere. 
And that is exactly right. That that's what Marvel and American blockbusters do all the time because God forbid mm. we're not cool, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but by taking that out of the way, it allows the actors to mesh with the story and tone more. And ultimately everyone benefits from that. Something that I really love is that Rajamuli gives Sudeep so many ways to shine from this performance of paranoia that's both cartoonish and sympathetic that Thumbai was describing in the scene where he's asking, can like a fly get revenge on people? Mm. To the physical comedy of flailing about and being beaten up by a fly to honestly the faces that Sudeep is asked to make and the lenses that are used to enhance his face. I know that we're listening to an audio medium right now, but I'm going to show everyone in our call this shot of Sudeep after his face is set on fire by the fly (laughs) dunking his face into a bucket of water which is shot from below and it looks ridiculous you both feel (laughs) Sudeep's pain and you're laughing at the silly face that he's making when his money is on fire too there's this one still that I took of him like pulling his face down and it just looks so silly (laughs) it's all these things Rajamuli's endless creativity goes into making it a better experience for the audience and for the actors to show off their chops. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what I mean when I say that he's a great supporter of a director. Mm. Mm -hmm. We have to give him credit for, I mean, give him and his performance credit for always committing fully to the premise, no matter how ridiculous it is. Whether it is ridiculous in terms of like, this kind of fantastical premise or ridiculous in terms of like the high emotion of an RRR yeah. or Bahubali. Yeah. Like this story you tell us, Tamai, about the laser pointer in RR shows that he is thinking about how much to push the actors. Like he's not letting them be lazy and letting the CG handle it. He's making the actors sell the emotion or the stakes, whether it's a physical thing or a emotional thing. And I think that's something that with American blockbusters, there's a bit of laziness and it can sometimes feel like, especially with a maybe not necessarily low budget, but a less important kind of blockbuster that a high grade actor might sleepwalk through. Yeah. Raja Muli doesn't let his actors mm-hmm. sleepwalk through anything. He's going to use them to like the 100%. And I'm thinking also now about how he wants them to commit five years like with him wanting Prabhas to like like commit fully to Bahubali for, what was it, five years? And maybe not to belabor the point about the comedy, but I think it is about the flavor of comedy yeah. that he has. Like, when we talk about that scene that you referenced, Amai, where his lackey is being a yes man. Like, yes, it is somewhat self-referential to the ridiculousness of the premise, but the humor is at the expense of the situation that Sudeep finds himself in. Mm. Yes. Not at the expense of the premise mm. of the film. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So well put. Yeah. So it is rooted in the character experience rather than just yeah. the idea of the film, which is what you kind of get with like in American blockbusters that kind of break the fourth wall and make you remember that oh, this character, this actor is now almost like he knows he's a character in a, in a story, whereas with this, 
the character is still a character mm -hmm. in his own story. As you said, Ben, it's a lack of commitment and it's defensive and trying to be as cool as possible. But really, sincerity is cool. And why would we go to the movies if not to see writers, directors, and actors all commit and right. do the thing as fully as possible? Yeah, definitely. And I think when when there is no humor to be found in the story, like when he's making a Bahubali or an RRR, then there's no need to imbue the script with jokes. But there are kind of not jokes in Bahubali, but there's setup and payoff in the way that jokes sometimes work structurally, mm. where it's exciting to see rules set out and then to see Bahubali break them intelligently to accomplish his goals. There is something that hits the same spot in the brain to me as humor. It's like, wow, like, I can't believe that happened. I wasn't expecting that. And it's like a neighbor to funny. Right. I mean, it's the same way like horror can be a neighbor to comedy yeah. as well. Like there's a punchline or something. Yeah. Which is smart yeah. in a sense. Right? And Ben, when you when you talk about like Rajamuli pushing his actors, right? And not letting the CG do all the heavy lifting, right? I think that kind of goes back to, because, you know, in a lot of like South Indian films, especially in these big tentpole films, a lot of the films are sort of more defined by the star that's in it, right? Mm. When, a, when Rajamuli is working with, say, in like, you know, in Bahubali, working with Prabhas or in RRR, when he's working with Ramcharan and Junior NTR, who are massive, massive stars that by themselves, if they had worked with a lesser director, it would be kind of their movie, right? But because it's Rajamuli, right, and it's his film, he's the person that that shows up. He's the per it's his film, right? Mm. That's what people start to look at it as. And so much of that has to do with how much he pushes his actors. And Iga's maybe like where like he's able to kind of mold them into sort of the characters that he's created, you know, where they don't have like a star image that he really needs to cater to. But you also kind of see that a little bit with with Bahubali and also with RRR, where at the end of the day, like these actors, regardless of their stature or their star image, have to fit into Rajamuli's world. They function in his world, yeah. right? Their star image does not supersede the film that Rajamuli is making. Mm. And I think that's an interesting way to kind of think about and also sort of conceptualize the type of creative control that Rajamuli has with his film. Yeah, I guess that's just a point that kind of when Ben, when you say when you talked about how much control he has and how much he pushes his actors, it made me kind of think about that it's his film, right? And I think that you know that's kind of also why we do this podcast is to mm. think about film or why you guys, I'm the guest, sorry, why you guys do this podcast is to think about why we do this podcast. <laughs> we do. <laughs> well, okay, we. It's a community. You can yes. be part of this. <laughs> uh, why we do this podcast is to look at is to look at filmmakers and 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 see you know, what is it about their films that impacts us, right? Yeah, now I went on a tangent, sorry. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess that, that just kind of made me think about. That was a beautiful tangent. If there's one thing about the movie that gives me the most pause, it's probably the character of Bindu and the way that Nani's pursuit of her is portrayed. It feels a little bit weird. And I'm calling, I called it, sorry. <laughs> I'm calling it. <laughs> 
you called it. I was, te- I was texting Thadmai yesterday, and I was like, Eli's one gripe with the film is going to be about how he pursues her at the start of the film. <laughs> that is also my gripe. <laughs> That's the other thing I said. I was like, oh, Ben's, Ben gave it three stars because, because of that. <laughs> I, because he's because of the, the, I knew it. And you said it, and I'm right, and Wilson and I are both right. <laughs> <laughs> and we win. No, I'm just kidding. Keep you on win. going. Keep on going. You win the argument. <laughs> Eli, I'll let you finish, but just yes. I watched this with my girlfriend. Like I've watched all of the Bahu Bali films. She fell asleep halfway because she got COVID. So, so Oh no. That, oh, that night she found out she got COVID. But anyway. Oh no. But she was like, I dislike this simpy behavior. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I am inclined to agree with her because I find that a little weird because Nani does this like wear her down kind of tactic. Yeah. And it's viewed as charming. And then we're supposed to just buy that Bindu is worn down and then is in love with a fly. So I think that part strains not really belief but like just strains my my commitment to the characters a little bit. And it is a shame because that is the kind of setup of the film. And you gotta buy into the romance to really like buy into Bindu being in love with a fly. And I think that being lacking for me also is didn't help with the later parts of the film. I agree, Ben. It feels like an icky trope that is presented as charming here. And Nani, as an actor, is given an arduous task to, in the first 30 minutes, give us a sense of personality that later passes on to this fly. Again, he doesn't get to voice the fly later on. He has to give us a really strong and clear impression of who Nani is up top. And the movie, in my mind, works against itself by having him be a little bit icky. And I think the movie is aware of how Bindu's life is absorbed by the fly's goal to take revenge on Sudeep. And it makes fun of that a little bit, but that also feels a little bit weird. Like now all her life's goals are subsumed to this entirely. I don't think we really return to her charity afterwards. I kind of thought that all <laughs> Sudeep's money was going to wind up going to her charity, but that doesn't happen. All her life's goals become about aligning with the fly, which... Well, it's not just aligning with the fly. She's protecting herself, right? Because... If the fly doesn't kill Sudeep, Sudeep will get to Bindu. But that even implies that she can't protect herself otherwise. But, I mean, the fly's first mission is to convince Bindu that Sudeep is not a good guy, which he does quite early on. So I think Mm -hmm. once he passes that obstacle, then in a way Bindu is safe. I'm just wondering why they didn't just set up Bindu and Nani as, like, lovers from the start rather than like try to do in the first 30 minutes a courtship and then solidify that romance and then kill yeah kill nani like if it had been that you know nani and sudeep are deeply in love and sudeep sorry nani <laughs> nani and bindu <laughs> that would be a very different movie if nani and bindu were deeply in love and then sudeep is the interloper that kills nani then you know that gives bindu a very strong motivation to also want to enact revenge herself. And then finding out that the fly is Nani will be much more of a discovery for her. Whereas now it's like, we don't know how in love with they are. And then he died. And then 
she's in love with the fly more than she was in love with the man. Yeah, but I think it's also the weight of that misconnection as well. I think that's yes, there's, maybe. there's an importance there where you're like, oh, I didn't get to say I love you to you, right? She had to say it through text that he never even got to see. I think there's a lot of moments there that, I don't know, I think it work as as payoff when it is revealed that he, he, he is the fly later on. Also, Nani having an active goal in those first 30 minutes to court Bindu gives us a better sense of his character than if he were static. My problem is more this masculine trope of him wearing her down and that being something that is supposed to endear us to him doesn't work for me i totally get where you guys are coming from eli and ben and i think something that's a little interesting too is this i think is a little bit more accentuated too when i think the film wants us to see sudeep's attraction to her as as something really creepy Right. Yeah. Which it is. And we and we totally buy that. It is like very creepy. And he does make these like advances that are really uncomfortable. But at the same time, especially in the beginning, it feels like she's being victimized by two different men. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Even though like Rajamuli wants you to kind of side more with the Nani one just because he's more, I don't know, quote unquote charismatic and sees Sudeep's as creepy, which it is. Um, but that's always like a tough thing to do because because they're both it's both sort of very like creepy behavior. Right. And it's yeah. hard to kind of be like, you should be rooting for this guy, not this guy, even though they're both creepy. That's always like a hard, very difficult thing to do, because like in the back of your mind, you're always like she should just like find a different guy, like go on a dating app or find a different guy and just get out of this whole thing entirely, <laughs> you know, or something like that. You know, and, like at least being especially when she's like victimized by two different men of like different degrees but still like that is also something that is in the back of your mind all the time at least in the back of my mind right despite my love of like the rest of the movie that is also something that kind of prevents me from like absolutely absolutely loving this movie too so i don't know i guess i guess like the way that i kind of rationalize it a little bit is that if you intend to like interpret it less as like nani wearing her down and more as a courtship where she starts to realize that she likes this guy and that's giving the movie a lot of grace like you know <laughs> admittedly but i think like you know if you view it from that lens and it also makes that dramatic beat of like bindu realizing she loves nani and then that's when nani gets abducted and killed it makes that that beat land more mm -hmm. i guess that's the way i kind of think about the way rajamuli was sort of intending it you know i'm not trying to of course underplay how creepy the that initial courtship is. Mm -hmm. But I think just sort of thinking about the the mechanics of the film and what Rajamuli is trying to do. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the way I kind of conceptualize what he was trying to intend with it, even though it probably lands. And it does. It does land a little differently with us. Do we have any more points that we want to hit before? Let me look back at my screenshots to jog my memory also. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, did you take a screenshot of the intermission? His intermissions always hit yes. so hard. Oh, yes. I will did. kill you <laughs> <laughs> written on the the windscreen or <laughs> of so um, Sudeep's. Yeah, <laughs> Sudeep's car after crashing his car. And it's all covered in dust. And then the light comes through. Yeah. I will kill you. It's like just the perfect, you know, thing. It's like, yeah, Roger Bully, his interval sequences are so fucking cool like like a lot a lot of like the function of an interval scene in in indian cinema is supposed to 
I mean, you have you really don't have much of a choice except to come back, but sort of to heighten the stakes or to heighten the emotion or kind of leave you on leave you in a way to get you interested in the second half of the film. And he is mm. like so, so, so good at creating these sequences in the middle mm. of the movie, right? Because like yeah. a lot of Indian cinema, you know, especially popular Indian cinema doesn't really follow the three-act structure. And I, I'm sure yeah. you guys have kind of realized that. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of like first half, second half, right? Mm. Yeah. And then the interval scene is what separates the first half from the second half. And he is so good at creating that that scene that kind of divides the two halves. And here he's like really good at it, kind of revealing to to Sudeep that this fly is out to kill him. Yeah. Right. Like it kind of raises the the stakes a little bit. And also it also is a reveal of information too. Mm. You know, and he does this a lot in like for example in um in Bahubali 2, the interval sequence is sort of a a uh a reveal of information or sort of a reveal that even if Balal Deva is the king. Yeah. The bigger statue. Yeah. Bahubali is still the king of the people, regardless of whoever is like physically on the throne. It is just a, a way that he communicates to the audience about what is going on between the characters of the film. Mm. And it kind of leaves you on an interesting note where, especially in Bahubali too, you're like, okay, where will this lead Balal Deva? And where will this mm-hmm. lead Bahubali? Right. And then here it's like, oh my God, like what is going to happen between Sudeep and Iga and uh, sorry, and Nani? So yeah, that's something that I find that he does so well is like creating these scenes that lead you into the second half with, with a kind of a renewed interest, I think, or, or not even a renewed interest, yeah. sort of like a uh, continuing the engagement on, a, on, on another level. Yeah. It's like a refueling of sorts. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what a fucking good director, man. I think this talk about the structure of it is interesting because... I think if you look at RR and Bahubali, I think you can maybe adhere the film to a kind of three-act or five-act structure. Mm-hmm. Especially when you think about Bahubali as being something like almost Shakespearean in its machinations. Yeah. I can see that kind of act structure helping those films flow in a way that escalates but also changes the stakes as you go through it. He always has these twists which change things up, change the positions of power and also give you new information that repositions everyone in terms of how they relate to each other. And not necessarily, I would say, a criticism of Iga, but because it is a decidedly different film, it does feel more of a two-part film between the two intervals. And the kind of story it is, is that it is a film about escalations. Mm -hmm. It is really one comedy idea, and then how far do we take it? (laughs) Right? And then it just repeats that kind of central idea of fly irritates man over and over again in different yeah. ways. And I think it is just an interesting kind of comparison when you compare this with something like his more epic stuff like Bahubali and RRR. Well, speaking of intervals, I do want to know what you guys think of the very ending where Nani gets reincarnated as another fly <laughs> and writes, I am back on the screen. <laughs> I for Ega one... two? Ega the conclusion? <laughs> <laughs> Three ga? <laughs> yes. I for one wanted Bindu to be free of all this and go live a normal life. <laughs> why can't he reincarnate as like something else? Like why is he a fly again? Right. <laughs> You're supposed to do good and then be reincarnated as like the next step or something, right? I don't know. <laughs> it is yeah. just so you can have that very cool musical sequence at the end, guys. It's the only reason. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's it. That is a good sequence. Okay. Thank you once again, Thamai, for coming back onto the podcast to talk about Iga. Do not be a stranger. You will not be a stranger because we are definitely going to be bringing you back on for maybe two more episodes this year <laughs> with the new Rotnam out and definitely to talk oh, about right. RRR. So it's gonna it's probably going to be a very short time before we see you again. Before. Right. I'm so glad and... I hope you guys watching Rajamuli's films have, again, like with what I hope with money, kind of appreciate the type of filmmaking, you know, the type of stories he likes to tell. Again, you know, and lately, I think with RRR, he's starting to get a lot of international worldwide recognition. Some of it being a little bit more condescending than other. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think overall, like the exposure is really good. I think especially for like a future RRR episode. I definitely want to talk about a lot of the more problematic elements, mm -hmm. especially the way that Rajamuli kind of deals with caste and sort of like his political engagement. Hmm. It's something that's sort of front and center in RRR. So it's not really something we can really talk about, I think, with the Bahubali duology or with Iga as much as you really can with RRR. So hopefully when we have that discussion, we can kind of delve into that and I'll be sending you guys stuff and it'll be something of an informed discussion there. But but yeah, that's definitely something that I don't think we really got to talk about, especially because a lot of that stuff isn't really front and center in the films that we talked about. But I am so glad you guys brought me on to talk about one of my favorite directors. And I, I think I said this on the Bahubali episode, but I'm telling you the top two blockbuster filmmakers in the world right now are Christopher Nolan and S.S. Rajmuli. And I hope I've convinced you of that. Maybe not. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I at least hope I've convinced you that Rajmuli is one of the most inventive one of the most like the smartest blockbuster filmmakers that are working right now and yeah i'm just glad you guys watched these movies and you guys found your own interpretations and uh, yeah i'm just i'm just so happy you guys watched this stuff again like i have such a nostalgic connection to rajamuli that sometimes i'm a little bit afraid when other people watch it that they're not going <laughs> to respond to it as similarly as i have but wilson i think especially has <laughs> and then you guys have to in your own sort of capacities too which i'm really grateful for and yeah i'm i'm really interested to hear what you guys from these three movies like what you guys sort of have gathered from his filmmaking and the types of stories he likes to tell hmm is that a question for us oh that is a question for it us is. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I'm, I was trying to transition into your guys's final thoughts that's yeah, what i was trying yeah. to do i need to think <laughs> we've said pieces of this before but big takeaways for me are Maximum impact without exhausting the audience. So that means really smart structuring and pacing on the writing side. And also pulling off what is kind of a magic trick of being able to constantly up the ante on what you are being shown and what characters are accomplishing. This is summed up perhaps by saying that Rajamuli has boundless creativity and invention. And I entirely agree that he's maybe the smartest and also just most fun blockbuster filmmaker working today. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest takeaway I have from watching Rajamuli is just his sincerity and emotional honesty that we've touched on is so strong, which is why it makes him such a good blockbuster filmmaker. There is like zero pretense. There is zero, mm -hmm. what's the word? Um, like this dude is, he's not slacking off. He's making a movie every single time. And yeah. I think, that, that's the thing about him that I appreciate the most. And it makes these blockbuster films feel 
created by somebody rather than just being created by committee or created for a paycheck mm-hmm. and i think that's what he brings to the craft and that's why the films are good is because you care about the material and he cares about the storytelling so much and that's why they're good movies doesn't really matter like whether i loved Igor or not but i think i can see that he is always going at each of the films at like a thousand percent yeah. yeah, and yeah. it is very clear when you watch these films that he is giving a shit. So yeah, yeah. right. And I I feel like I've talked about a lot of what I think about Rajamuli, but I think rewatching these movies, I'm gonna. This is kind of feels a little bit left field, but it's gonna come into what I appreciate about Rajamuli or something that I gathered new this time. I was recently watching Emlet Shyamalan's old, like rewatching it, and something about that movie that I I really love, and something that I've realized. I think I love in like storytelling in general is emotional and visual immediacy. Mm. And what I mean by that is like, is, is just economical storytelling. And that's something that I, I get a lot from M. Night Shyamalan's films, especially old, but something that I realized I think was sort of kind of an epiphany that I had is that's what I really love about Rajamuli's filmmaking. There is a economical style in which he tells his stories even though he's kind of working in this Indian popular format, like his frames, his conception of story and character, they all work on such a primal level, on such a emotional and visually immediate level. Mm. He has such a hand as a filmmaker in delivering the maximum amount of visual and emotional information to the viewer, right? And I think for me personally, that's what I those are the types of films I tend to gravitate towards. And that's something that I've realized that I really love about Rajamuli, especially during this rewatch that we did for these podcasts. Beautifully said. Yeah. And yeah, I really have to thank you, Thama, because I feel like I have a, a, one of my new favorite working directors right now. Like, I think Rajamuli, like, I agree with all of you, Rajamuli is really working on a level that not many other directors are currently. And being able to deliver movies at such high levels like constantly that are so entertaining at almost every beat is really amazing to me and i think also i I wrote about this in my rrr review but um how rajamuli as a director is able to make these like superhuman movies in that he understands that being a superhero is not just your extraordinary abilities right it is always tied to something like you're always tied to like a promise or a fate or it's destiny for you and i think he is the only director in the world that really like gets that i think it's so incredible how in every film of his that i've seen like even marian uh mariada ramana there is a sense of destiny that is happening whenever the guy steps out of the house like i think that increases stakes a hundredfold for me. And yeah, I I feel like we have lots more to say. And I also am very excited to dive into his back back catalog as well, like his pre uh, Magadira stuff. So yeah, I will be doing that in my own time. Follow me on Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thank you again for coming on to the podcast. It's always a joy to have you on and to learn more about the movies that you love. Yeah, and and I'm and every time I'm on, this feels like a bunch of friends 
and we are all friends just talking about movies. And I think this is a personally a great outlet for me to talk about stuff that I am very passionate about, but can't can't usually talk about, you know, and I really love sharing what I think about Rajamuli because like he was a director that I didn't I couldn't really talk to a lot of people about because no one watched him. Right. You know, I watched him and maybe like my parents watched him and maybe my parents' friends watched him. But like, it's weird talking to your parents' friends about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you want to talk to your peers about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, here this has not felt like work. It's felt like a lot of friends kind of like obsessing over this director. And, uh, <laughs> you know, which I, I, I love to do. And Simp I'm, I'm behavior. You've definitely indulged me in that <laughs> in that desire of mine. So, um, yeah, ha- I'm so happy to be on and talk about Rajamuli. And of course, talk about any other filmmakers in the future. I'm glad to be a regular guest on this podcast. Hey, we keep on threatening Tenet. So when that happens, <laughs> you will be back. I'm ready for the, the greatest Indian filmmaker of all time. Yeah, Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Indian filmmaker of all time. <laughs> we'll, we will have that Tenet podcast. Um, <laughs> Whether we like it or not. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what we'll do? We'll reverse it. So that I'm the I'm the host and you guys are the guest. Oh. <laughs> a high concept chatted episode sounds like so much fun. <laughs> it's gonna cut deep. Oh, really? nice, Ooh. nice, nice. Chuck nice, peed. Nice. <laughs> Thamai, before we close out, do you have anywhere where your listeners can find you or your work? You want to plug anything? Oh, um. Yeah, I guess. I, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess like follow me on Letterboxd. I I have not been posting as much, but I do regularly watch like you know Indian films and just like type what I think about it. I guess so. Follow me on Letterboxd if you like that stuff, and follow me on Instagram. I don't post that often, but I'm there. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. I mean, follow me on Twitter if you want to see me obsess over like certain movies for like three four months on end <laughs> yeah and um yeah that's it that's 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 my plug <laughs> and we'll have links to all of the above in the show notes Thank awesome you. okay let's close it out thank you for listening to this episode of deep cut please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops keep up with deep cut on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd, at DeepCutPod. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. Thank you to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. And I'm Thanmai. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time. Iga, Iga, Iga! Woo! Thanks, Davai. Thanks, guys. That was wonderful.